Well, today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have this morning in our scripture passage, it, uh, along with the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think that we can say that the parable of the prodigal son is the most famous 
of Jesus's parables. And some have called it the greatest short story in human history. And I don't think that that's hyperbole. This parable shows Jesus, the teacher and the storyteller, at his absolute finest. No one else in history has been able to say so much in, in so few words or, or to build an entire world in just a few paragraphs. The parable of the prodigal son, it's inspired countless works of art. Um, it's infused every aspect uh, of, of our culture and our vocabulary. And, and, and if you think about, you know, there's Rembrandt and, and his famous painting of the return of the prodigal son. There's, there's the themes uh, of this parable that, that run through uh, the works of Shakespeare. And, and, and there's even this parable inspiring contemporary classics. Um, there's a, a 1990s um, Los Angeles-based hip-hop trio um, that uses this where they say, you know, word to your mom, I came to drop bombs, I got more rhymes than the Bible's got psalms. Just like the prodigal son, I've returned. Anyone step into me, you'll get burned. So we've got Rembrandt, we've got Shakespeare, we've got the House of Pain telling us to jump around. So clearly across centuries, this parable has inspired the heights of human artistic expression. But this parable does not stand alone in Luke chapter 15. It's part of a trio of parables that Jesus tells in response to some grumbling from the Pharisees and the scribes about Jesus' success, not just in attracting a crowd that's filled with tax collectors and sinners, but that Jesus receives them and he eats with them. Now, table fellowship, who you ate with in the ancient world, mattered a lot because it was a sign of of social acceptance in what was an honor and shame-based culture. Who you ate with was a way to bestow your honor upon them. An honorable person, you know, it's not a problem. You could show charity uh, to anyone if you're an honorable person. In fact, that, that was expected. And that's, you know, if we think about ancient, uh, ancient culture, and still some contemporary cultures certainly operate more on, on these axes, honor, shame, uh, than our own. But it was also a patron-client culture. And so as a, a, a patron— um, and that's why I love the Spanish language and Latin, Latinate languages, because, you know, as I'm watching Narcos Mexico and they're talking about a boss, they say patron. And that gets at some of this relationship that, that as a patron, you can offer things to a client, but you're not giving them honor. In fact, it's accruing honor yourself. But to eat with someone was to operate much more on this, this social equal um, uh, uh, footing. And so, and it was seen by the scribes, Pharisees, and basically always that, that basically a shameful person would infect an honorable person with their shame. That's how it always went. And so here is Jesus, you know, eating with, with a, 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 a shameful group of people, tax collectors and sinners. And if he was any kind of, you know, religious leader, prophet, spiritual authority, he would have known better than to do this. And when we think of, you know, an honor and shame-based culture, we think that that's pretty different from our own. But I, but I, I I think there's actually a lot of similarities that we see. And though table fellowship, it's, it's no longer this big deal. I mean, a few of us have hosted a dinner party anyways in the past year. Um, but we do put a lot of stock in making sure that, that we ourselves do not associate too closely with those people. And that's what the tax collectors and sinners represented to the scribes and Pharisees. They were those people. 
And we know that, that and we don't have to stretch our imagination to know that, that who those people are depends a lot on our social location and our ideological, um, you know, uh, sympathies. So those people, think about it. Think about living in a city like Minneapolis. Who might those people be? Well, it might be the person who's, you know, flying the, uh, the, the MAGA flag, you know, outside of their house. But if we have somewhat different ideological sympathies, those people might be the people who've got that, you know, in this house we believe sign. Those people are the people who make what are the obnoxious, to us at least, Facebook posts or those people watch the wrong news channel or those people listen to the wrong radio stations or those people listen to the wrong podcasts, those people read the wrong books. And so those people, they just don't get it. And so we don't have anything to do with them besides telling them maybe in subtle and not so subtle ways how wrong they are, how ignorant they are, how unenlightened they are, how misinformed they are, how bad they are. But mostly we just go out of our way to avoid them, lest they taint our self-perception as belonging to the great and the good. Now the problem with Jesus is that he is engaging with those people He's getting too close to them. And, 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 and we think, you know, if, if we think, oh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're the bad guys. Of course, they're blowing this out of proportion. Just think, if, think of whoever those people are for you and think that if you found out that I, your pastor, was getting a little too close to one of those people that you saw an Instagram post where I was sitting down um, or posted myself sitting down with the, the, the wrong kind of person and, 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 and how uncomfortable that would make you feel. And I think you can start to get the point. Now, to help the scribes and the Pharisees understand what he was doing, why he was in relationship with those people, Jesus tells three parables about finding what's been lost. And so we're going to look at this morning at three different ways of being lost, three different ways of being found, what that teaches us about what it means to be lost, and what that teaches us about the finder as well. And these are not three totally separate parables. These are parables that Jesus tells to build upon one another. They're in this close relationship with each other. And basically, Jesus is setting up the scribes and the Pharisees uh, by telling the stories in this way. By, by starting with basically, you know, who could disagree with this? You know, who wouldn't look for a lost sheep? Who wouldn't look for a lost coin? Everybody would, of course. No brainer. But then it's what about a lost son? And that's where the challenge comes. And these parables, they intensify the value of the thing that's being lost. So it starts with, you know, one sheep out of a hundred. And then it's one coin out of ten. And then it's one son out of two. So the way that Jesus um, tells these parables together, it's it's, it's narrowing down to to the point that it reaches this open-ended conclusion at the end of chapter 15. This is absolutely just brilliant storytelling. So first, there's the parable of the lost sheep. Simple enough scenario. A man has 100 sheep. One of them wanders away. He leaves the 99 others to find it. And so here's what this teaches us about being lost in this scenario. Which in the context of Jesus' ministry, okay, what is he talking about being lost? What does it mean to be lost? My simple definition that I give of what it means to be lost, both then and now, is is someone is lost when they're far away from God. That's a simple definition of what it means to be lost. You're lost when you're far away from God. And, and, and so uh, what does it mean to be lost in this scenario is that, that, that sometimes being lost happens when someone just wanders away. It's not any 
open rebellion. It's not some great big ill intent. It's not some grand statement that they're making. It's just somehow it can be so subtle, so slow, almost imperceptible that, that, that all of a sudden a person finds himself far from God, that they've strayed from the fold. And it's not that this sheep, you know, made a break for it and, and ran away. It's not that it snuck away. It's just drifted away and then discovered that it was separated from his shepherd. Now, how many of us, you know, can relate to that? How many of us, you know, have found ourselves in a place at some point in our life where we've been like that lost sheep? I'm betting that most of us know a lost sheep or two. You know, you move to a new city, uh, 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 you enter into some kind of new life stage, you just sort of get disillusioned with the church, and, and, and then it wasn't some big grand declaration or big decision, but slowly but surely God gets farther and farther away until all of a sudden it just seems like he's no longer there. Now, lostness in this instance is an unintentional strain. But the stress here isn't on being lost, but actually being found. The shepherd leaves the 99 behind, goes off, searches in the wilderness for the one lost sheep. And for the shepherd, this is a treacherous journey. You're out there in the wilderness on your own. You can run into a wild animal. There's all kinds of, you know, bandits and sheep rustlers out there. And it's physically dangerous. If something happens to you, there's no one to help you. But the shepherd takes the risk. And when he finds the sheep, it's doing, you know, if you lived in that culture, you know what would happen to a lost sheep. When a sheep is separated from the flock and realize it, it, it does what sheep do. They just lay right down on the ground and they start bleeding, you know, bah, bah, bah. helpless on the ground. And so Jesus says that God does what a shepherd would do. Goes out, picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and brings it home. You know, bearing its weight joyfully as he makes the long journey home. And so what Jesus is teaching is that God is a God who finds the lost. A God who goes to great lengths to seek the lost out, is willing to face any danger or, or, or peril to bring the lost home. And who doesn't just lead the, the lost back like, like a dog on a leash, but carries the lost home with great joy. And so while we are like lost sheep, God is like a searching shepherd who will stop at nothing to bring us home. Next, there's the parable of the lost coin. A woman drops one of ten coins in her house and cannot find it anywhere. And so here is a parable that's even more relatable to us in our contemporary situation. Who among us has not lost something in their house and it just drives you crazy because you know it's just around there somewhere. You just got to find it. And how can you lose something when you know that it's right there in your house? Archaeologists actually, um, when they're excavating an, an ancient structure, they will look in, in the cracks in the floor in a house for bits of pottery or even um, coins like this so that they can date, date um, their excavations. So it's a very real, very relatable story then and now. And so this woman, what does she do? She, she lights a lamp because it's dark in her house, and, and she gets out a broom and starts sweeping around, hoping that, you know, she'll catch a flash of light or she'll heal the clinking of the coin and, and does what Jesus says, searches diligently until she finds the coin. So what does this teach us about being lost? So the coin is not like the sheep. 
You know, the coin is an inanimate object. It didn't wander off like the sheep. It was just lost through no fault of its own. And so Jesus seems to be saying that there are people who are lost, people who are far from God, and they don't even know it. And they don't know it because no one has ever told them about the God of Scripture. And and not just that there's a God out there, like some kind of higher power that many people have a sense of, but that there is a God of grace, a God who is like the God uh, exemplified by the woman in this passage who values them, who, who sees them as possessing an intrinsic worth and value, as being worth finding, a, a worth that they don't even truly understand until they've been found. And what then does this teach us about the God who finds? You know, whereas the sheep speaks to the, to the lengths that God will go to rescue the lost, this parable speaks to the, the, the intensity with which God seeks the lost. When we are lost, we have a God who searches everywhere for us like this woman. God even seeks out those who had no idea that they needed finding in the first place. And now at last, we reach the piece de resistance. The parable to which these other two parables have been building. Jesus says, well, who wouldn't search for a lost sheep? Of course you would. Who wouldn't search for a lost coin? Of course you would. But what about a lost son? Would you seek him out? And, and this is actually difficult, given the details of this story. It's a, it's a harder question to answer than just, well, yeah, of course. Well, would you if you know what you know about this son? Or these sons, because it's kind of ambiguous which son Jesus is talking about exactly when it comes to being lost. And if you've heard a a sermon on this parable before, much of what I'm going to say won't be new, but that's okay. Novelty is no substitute for the truth, you know. Um, uh, When when my wife tells me that, you know, she she loves me, that's not, these are not new words out of her mouth. But that doesn't make them any less valuable or any less true or any less of something that I want to hear from her. And when it comes to God's truth, hearing it again and again and again is a good thing. And in much of my kind of cultural analysis and understanding of this uh, parable, I am indebted to uh, a guy named Kenneth Bailey. And he was a a, a Presbyterian uh, biblical scholar uh, who is passed away, but he spent years and years and years, decades of his life living in the Middle East and teaching um, college students and seminary students scripture. And I actually had the pleasure of hearing him uh, lecture in person some years ago, and he was one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever heard. And Ken got to teach scripture and learn about scripture in, in a context that was much closer or much more, I think, familiar to the New Testament world than our own. And it's not that Middle Eastern culture didn't change over the course of 20 centuries, but, but that in places like Lebanon where he taught, the students advanced a greater familiarity with concepts of honor and of shame and of the role one was supposed to p- play in a family as a brother or, or what it meant to be a, a patriarchal figure in a family. Now, the youngest son, that's the son we know is lost. And we know this because the father says so. In the parable, when, when the son comes home, he says, uh, this son of mine was lost, and now he's found. 
The youngest son commits a grave offense in asking for his inheritance before uh, the father dies. This is certainly breaking the commandment, honor your father and your mother. And the message he's sending is, I no longer want to be your son. And you've heard it said, but it's true. He's saying, Dad, you are dead to me. And he commits a great offense by leaving the, 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 the family farm. We live in a culture where it's normal for kids to, to move all over the world, all over the country, you know, to be far from their family of origin. But this was not the case in the ancient Near East. To leave one's family, especially in this matter, would have been a source of great shame. It was a form of abandonment, a very public form of abandonment. And he took a journey to a far-off country where we're told he squandered his property in reckless living. More shame. And then a famine strikes, and he has nothing, and he has to hire himself out to feed pigs. And for a Jewish audience, this is even more shame. And if you're hearing this parable from Jesus' lips, if you're part of the original audience, you would not feel any sympathy for this kid at this point. You'd have some kind of schadenfreude, and you'd be saying, all right, this punk is getting just what he deserves. And the prodigal son shows us that being lost means rebelling against God. In his speech, he prepares for his dad. He says, you know, he's going to admit, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And this is a lostness which we can easily identify. The lostness of the person who rejects God with their words and their actions. The lostness of those who don't want any God anymore because they want to live how they want to live. The kind of lostness where one has consciously decided to reject God and leave him behind. And sadly, we know these people too. And some of us have been these people as well. And this rebellion hurts. Hurts even more than the other two kinds of being lost because it's, it's this conscious decision to walk away. But the prodigal son comes to his senses and he decides to return home and, and become a hired hand. He knows he can never be a son again. But at least he cannot starve to death in the far-off country. And so he makes that hard and that humiliating decision to go back home, admit he's failed, that he's wasted everything, and he's going to have to face the village. He's going to have to face his older brother. But worst of all, he's going to have to face his father. But he's desperate. He swallows his pride or whatever is left of his pride. He rehearses this apology and he begins his long journey home. Now we know that this story has a happy ending. Or does it? Uh, uh, but the father welcomes him home. And so, and so we'll get to this later, what it means for this son to be found later. Be because there is another lost brother in this parable, isn't there? The older brother. The brother who, when he hears of his younger brother's return and that the fatted calf has been killed and, and there's celebration going on, gets angry and he refuses to go in and enter the party. Now, this was almost as bad as the younger brother asking for his share of the estate. 
In that culture, the, the, the eldest son in a family played a very important social role. It was your job if there was a celebration happening that your family was doing. You were kind of like the, 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 the welcoming party. When people came to, to the celebration, you would greet them. Um, you would shower them with, with compliments. You would make sure that they felt welcomed and invited to the party. That was your job in the family structure. And so to refuse to come in, was to say to his father, without saying it, I no longer want to be your son. And in fact, when we see the end of the parable here, it's clear that that the eldest son hasn't considered himself a son to his father in a very long time. Because what does he say? All these years I've served you. And the ESV translation obscures this, but you see it clearly in other translations where it says, All these years I've been slaving for you. That's the verb there, uh, to serve as a slave. And I've never disobeyed your commandments. And so the elder brother, the one who stands to inherit everything that now belongs to his father, actually considers himself in this relationship no better than a rule-following slave. And that's another kind of lostness, isn't it? Another kind of rebellion, the the quiet, responsible, religious type. The kind that quietly sits in the pews and serves on the church committees, all the while our hearts are being filled with bitterness and resentment about all the ways that we've been failed and let down by those people. Which includes both the rebellious types like the prodigal and the indulgent, forgiving types like the father. So this is really the parable of the two lost sons, one who is lost because of his rebellion and the other who's lost because of his resentment. And if you're attending a worship service today and listening to a sermon, um, my guess is that perhaps most of us, at least at this stage in our lives, if we're willing to do that, most readily identify with the older brother, the older sibling who has always tried to do the right thing and has tried to be responsible, you know, tried to hold things together and hold things down and, and has given so much of ourselves only to be let down so that our hearts have become hard. The younger son, that's, that's the type of person who runs away from God because of God's holiness. But, but the older brother types are the types who who, who stay away from God's celebration because of their resentment, because of his grace. And so if this parable has two kinds of lostness, then it has two kinds of, of being found. And remember that Jesus told this parable in response to questions about why he received and ate with those people. And what the parable of the lost sons makes clear is that, that Jesus' reply is meant to say something like this. I, I welcome those people because by failing to, to celebrate their return, their entrance into God's kingdom, their, their coming back from being far to God to being close to God, what you're showing in that response is that actually you're one of those people too. Now, in the case of the return of the prodigal, we can say, well, what does that teach us about being found? Because the father doesn't find him. He finds himself. He himself comes to his, his senses and makes the decision to return home. But what we learn here about being found is that it's an even deeper thing than just the location of an object that has been misplaced or a person or a thing. 
This foundness comes when the father rushes out to greet his son when he's a long way off. So the father runs to his son before anyone from the village can get to him first and and heap scorn and shame upon him. And if you're a family patriarch in that day and age, you carry yourself around with dignity. You do not run. But the father sets his dignity aside and he runs to him and he falls on him and he embraces him and he showers him with kisses. Before his son even says a word, he does that. And when the son begins his speech, Father, I've sinned against seven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son, the father cuts him off before he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. And he orders his, his, his servants to, you know, put on the best robe, which is the father's robe, to put on his father's own ring, his signet ring, the ring of being in the family, and to kill the fatted calf, which could feed the entire village. See, the prodigal son is lost because he believes that because of what he's done, he can never be a son again. And instead, his father rushes to him, embraces him, clothes him, and accompanies him back into the village with these words, this son of mine. That, friends, is the gospel. To be found is to be a rebel against God, welcomed and embraced as a child. And to be found is to, be, is to allow ourselves to be loved in that way. To accept the embrace of God's grace. Even though we know we aren't worthy of it and we don't feel worthy of it. So that's one kind of finding, but then there's another kind of finding as well. Though the success of this finding is left open-ended at the end of the parable. We don't know what happens. So just as the father went out to welcome home the prodigal son, so too he goes out and and he entreats his elder son to come in and join the celebration. The father's love is again so reckless. Just as he ran out and greeted his son, left his dignity behind. behind. Here he goes out to his son who won't come in and, and he leaves his dignity behind him. He refuses to let the shameful treatment of his son, his eldest son, stop him from going out and encouraging him to come in. God's love is a love that doesn't even let our resentful rejection of it get in the way. It's a love that seeks us out in the lostness of our self-righteousness and our resentment and says, come in and celebrate. It's a love that even when it spurns, says, as as the father says to his eldest son, child. And it's obscured in so many of our translations where it just says, son, you know, come in and join. But the word used is the one in Greek for little child, which is not him being dismissive towards his son. It's a term of deep affection and endearment. So being found doesn't just mean that God welcomes home the rebellious, but also that he reaches out to the resentful. Jesus doesn't hate the Pharisees and the scribes because he welcomes home tax collectors and sinners. That's not what's happening. Jesus loves them too. He loves all those people, the rebellious and the resentful, those who have just kind of wandered away and those who don't even know they're lost. The invitation to join the party and celebrate has been extended to all. But the parable at the end leaves open the question, will we accept it? Will we allow ourselves to enter into God's sweet embrace, to be held and called his children? Now, 
because of how hard we've worked for him or because we deserve it, but simply because of who we are in his arms. Helpless lambs carried home. Lost coins who he's not just going to let slip through the cracks. And beloved sons and daughters of a prodigal God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we know that each and every one of us, in some way in our lives, have been lost, but also found by you. And so God, this morning, uh, whether our hearts are hard, or whether our hearts are filled with shame, or just indifference, God, I pray that you would awaken in us the deep joy that comes from being found by you and the celebration that takes place in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that, God, we would experience that joy not just for ourselves, but for other people. And that, God, that one of the things that would mark our life together would be a deep and abiding joy in the lost being found and a sincere celebration where we invite others to join in the party that's happening here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.